Hi and welcome. You're listening to Talk Rehab, a podcast talk show dedicated to seating and mobility and the people that make it happen. I'm Bill Nolting, and today I'm talking with Doug Muncie, president of Key Mobility. As I'm sure you know, Key is in the business of making high-quality, manual, lightweight wheelchairs, and they seem to be making a real difference in the market. Get online and take a look at all the Key products and at their cool website. Doug spent his early years at Sunrise and founded Key Mobility in 2005. Ever since, he's been chipping away and making a real difference for everybody that needs a quality, lightweight manual chair. But I don't really think that's where it's going to end up. I spent some time with Doug talking about the past, present, and future. Doug, where did you come from anyway? So I worked in, you know, in the DME industry for four or five years, and then, um, uh, well, actually became what was an RTS before before there was such a thing. And then I became, I went to work for Sunrise. I was a, I was a quickie rep. Did you work and for Tom O'Donnell back then? I did. Uh, I did. Gotcha. And then I just worked my way through Sunrise and uh, was at Sunrise for 16 years and came up with Key Mobility. Been doing that now since 2005. Is Key Mobility your baby? To a degree. I mean, there's a few of us that, that formed the company, but I have a partner, Murray Slogerman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Murray and I worked together at, at Sunrise. He was uh, one of the engineers there, and we worked closely together on many projects. 16 years at Sunrise. That's a yeah. long time. Yep. When was Key Mobility founded? When did you start? Uh, 2005. I think we've been around long enough to be solid, yes. So what's the news? Always, for- always improvements, always things we can do better, but... I think we're fairly stable. What's the news from Key Mobility? Are you what? What are the new things that you're doing? Well, we we have over the last few years been expanding from just a just a you know adult manual wheelchair company with folding adult chairs or rigid chairs to coming out with tilt and space chairs. Um, in the last few years, we've moved into seating and positioning with a line of packaged cushions and and backs, back products, and we acquired planar seating product from Stealth, uh, which we have reworked and is now what we call Axiom Custom Seating. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of our attention has been. Uh, We also recently launched uh, an innovative wheelchair called the Ethos that basically designed to minimize the vibrations that the rider gets from uh, the surface. Uh, so it's not a shock absorbing chair, but it's a, a vibration damping chair. Uh, vibration being highly detrimental to the long term wheelchair rider. And I, I know you um, have there's a lot of a lot of lucky products then in your website. Your website looks really good. Um the lucky stuff looks really good too. Yep. We in January of last year we uh we became the distributor. Uh Autobach left the North American market, as you may be aware, mm-hmm. uh, we became the distributor for Lecky. Have been carrying that uh, in all of North America, not just the U.S. but Canada as well. And it's a great product line. We do very well with it. Um, we're seeing a lot of growth, and and they've been uh, introducing some new products as well. Uh, a very innovative gait trainer called the My Way that approaches gait training in a slightly different manner than other products that are on the market. Uh, and has had great success. And then a standing product, uh, in addition to their standing product line. It seems like a natural for you guys. 
I mean, that seems like a yeah, perfect we, addition. We, do, we have a very solid presence within the pediatric segments, uh, so it, it does uh, support and gives us a lot more throughput within that uh, pediatric segments of the, of the marketplace. Uh, you seem to be one of the few companies that are focused on pediatrics, and, and I don't mean exclusively, but to me it seems like RTS interest seems to jump into into power. I believe it looks to me like there's a, there's a hole in the pediatrics market being served well. Uh, I'm happy to see that you, you're really taking the lead in that. What do you think about what I just said? Is it true or am I just smoking dope or something? Uh, we find there's plenty of competition within the pediatric product lines that we work within. I think that the power segments, and there's a few different power segments, are, are just so large. The, the revenue for the same amount of activity is so great that it's very, very attractive and very appealing for an RTS to go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's... There's only so many power chairs being sold and so many clients, and so there's the need for only so many people. There are some some people who focus on power. There's some people who focus on whatever it is that their clinic needs. So if the clinic is producing, you know, has clients who need, I need two power chairs and two manual chairs and two pediatric chairs, they're going to provide whatever they have. So I don't think there's any rule of thumb. I don't know if people are moving more away from power now than they might have done at the advent of K-11 when, uh, you know, on a, and there was this newfound opportunity that within five or eight years produced the whole wheel or deal effect. So right. I, I, I haven't, I wouldn't go so far as to say there's a shift in everybody's interest in power. It's more the technology continues to improve. The more, you know, there's just more things that people can uh, do within their day if they're using a power chair, the capabilities are greater. So there's the use of technology to improve the products. Uh, there's a lot more that they can go. I mean, with manual chairs, there's a tendency that nobody really wants to be in a manual chair. And the goal is to minimize the time you're in the chair or to minimize the effort that it takes to propel the chair. So we're, we're really, there's a lot of focus on incremental improvements, taking a little bit of weight out making it a little bit easier to push. That's where the ethos is so innovative and in that it just, it could have, and there are people already starting to do some testing and clinical trials to show that uh, it can have a, a dramatic impact on the health and well-being of that rider over time. As I said, your website looks great. Do you manage that in-house? Yes. Yeah. We have, uh, you know, a, a graphic uh, we have a design and art department within our marketing team, as well as uh, about I don't know, a dozen developers. Gotcha. And tell me about the Veterans Portal. That looked pretty interesting. Uh, well, we, we do a fair amount of business with the VA, and the VA has its own pricing and its own products that are available to it. So it was it's a way just to keep it simpler for the veterans. All the stuff we do for pediatrics is not of interest to them. Sure. Um, so when a therapist or a vet, you know, goes to the website, they see what what might be uh, appealing to them, and we remove the clutter of things that wouldn't. Just trying to keep it focused. Sure. 
Well, tell me about your sales organization. Do you do you hire ATPs? Do you have internal reps? Do you use rep organizations? How are you organized from a sales perspective? Generally, well, we have our own sales organization. Uh, Mike Nordquist is our VP of sales, and we have sales managers and sales reps across the country. We have 35 sales reps. Now, we do have 10 or 11 independent reps who've been with us for a long time. They do a great job. Instead of having our own direct reps everywhere, we chose to continue our relationship with those independent reps. But most of the country is our own direct sales organization. Uh, in Canada, we acquired uh, New Vision, which was our rep organization in Canada. So in essence, there, our Canadian reps are direct reps as well. And how are people ordering your products? Do you have any sort of technology that you've embedded into their systems? Do you have smart order forms? How is that being done by Key Mobility these days? We don't have smart order forms, as in there's rules you know, underneath the order form that would... Uh, like a configurator. It tells you what you can and can't get. We do have uh, fillable PDFs that people can use and then just submit them. Um, we do have a, a, a configurator. I would say most people just send an order form in as a PDF through via, via email, either attaching it to an email or if you just hit the submit button on the PDF, it submits it to us. 25, 30% of the people use our online configurator. And mm-hmm. Some people still call in and tell customer service what they want. Old school. Old school. They're driving around. It's a good use of their time when they're driving around. Sure. I remember that you were involved in a virtual evaluation concept or product. I thought that was pretty fascinating. Do you remember what I'm talking about and what's the status of that? Yeah, that, I mean, that's a, that's a future thing. We're still bouncing around what's the best way to make that workable. Once again, it's great to be able to come up with some technology, but it has to, it has to work for the, uh, for the ATP and, uh, so it's still in the development stages. It's it's out there still. Uh, I I mean I found it to be a really interesting idea. Yeah, um, which you know we've had a few people at NSM take a look at it. Some mixed reviews, mostly because the way they they like the way they do things now, so they weren't necessarily interested in changing. So taking that in, that maybe there's a different audience, but also well, let's let's try to adjust to uh, what what they're saying they need. What is your company's biggest problem? It's rising costs. You know, in an environment where reimbursement doesn't really go up and every year the dealer community wants lower prices, we've been able to manage our way through that because as we grow, we've been able to get some lower prices based on volumes. Costs are starting to go up. Material costs are starting to go up. Labor costs are getting, you know, the labor market is getting really tough Hmm. and Workers want more money. Dealers aren't interested in having their prices go up. They're not willing to accept that. So and as long as somebody's willing to give you give them a price, it's a challenge. So the biggest challenge right now is that costs are going up. And what's the most exciting thing about the future of key mobility? Oh, jeepers. There's, a, there's plenty of elements, plenty of segments within complex rehab that we're not in as we speak. Um, that are, how can we come up with a product within this segment that adds value, that, that would be something that people would want and not just, Hey, we have one of those two, you know? Right. 
and there's other there's other markets, not just North America, but expanding outside of the U.S. So I think we're still, uh, you know, when, when you consider that we're not that big compared to the big guys, um, there's lots of room to grow and lots of opportunities and segments and marketplaces that, that we can do that. So I would definitely say that's the most exciting thing. It looks like your growth has been pretty dependable. I mean, can can you can you say that you've You've grown dependably over the past, since 2005? Yeah, we've grown. We've continued at a fairly steady growth rate throughout their whole existence. Yes. I remember, I remember once you told me, we don't want it all. We just want a little bit as we move forward. Let's just keep getting better and keep getting a little more as we move forward. So it seems to me you've sort of stuck to that concept and it's worked for you. It, It has. We have not wanted all of the business. I'm, believe as a as a person who's who's grounded in the concept of assistive technology and and the individual prescription that there's no one product that is best for everyone you have to be open to the idea that something else is the proper and correct product for this individual client while we want to make products for everybody we fully understand that it's not for everybody we just want to have an opportunity to to show our stuff and present our case and have an equal chance. And on that note, what's the outlook for people that need mobility, people that already have wheelchairs and people that will need wheelchairs? What do they have to look forward to? Well, I think, you know, as we mentioned briefly earlier, the reimbursement environment is getting tough. For some reason, that's not necessarily clear to me that Congress, CMS, thinks that the way to to save budget money is to cut back on reimbursement and make it more difficult. The amount of money that they spend on a week of hospital stay is dwarfs how much money they spend on everybody's wheelchairs, right? But, um, or what they spend on pharmaceuticals, but they're putting a lot of, of cost pressure in this, in this segment, which is going to drive innovation out and make everything about cost. The normal everyday product is going to have less feature and less quality over time unless we can change that paradigm. Now, one of the key ways to change that paradigm is with the separate benefit category, uh, which instead of us being part of a bigger pond, would, would take complex rehab and make it its own pond. Now, they could always hammer away at us, but part of the expectation is that the general cuts that they're driving across DME, that those general cuts wouldn't hurt complex rehab, that we would have some benefit there, some sparing of the of the knife. So the separate benefit category, I, I believe, is the most important tool we have to, to slow down, if not completely stop, the detrimental effects of reimbursement change. Become a platform for improved reimbursement. Is it making progress? Slow and steady. I sometimes because Medicare has CMS has been making the the cut to uh, to the accessories for power chairs. A lot of the attention has been shifted to first off to getting the cuts removed from power chairs, and now it, there's attention on removing those cuts from from manual chairs. And there's arguments as to why that's good activity, but I think the biggest long term benefit to us is creating that separate benefit category. There's sort of a trickle-down effect in, in that corridor of payment from 
from reimbursement that goes to providers that goes to manufacturers or suppliers. I'm certain that providers feel more subjected to the reimbursement cuts than manufacturers or suppliers. You send them an invoice, they send you a check. However, when you send a claim, you may or may not get paid. So I, I don't really know what question I'm asking, but there seems to be sort of a disconnect between the reimbursement and a manufacturer or a supplier. A am I wrong? I mean, everybody seems to be in the same boat, but providers seem to be on the on the short end of the stick. Well, I was a provider 30 years ago, uh, so I don't really remember exactly or probably changed. But I believe that as a general rule of stuff, a rule of thumb, that, that the provider knows what is going to be reimbursed before they submit, whether they have a pre-screening department or they have to get a pre-approval or they just know because here's the guidelines for the policy that the person has and what or what is covered. They have a pretty um, good idea. Now, yeah. There's plenty of gray, all right? There's gray sometimes purposely in all of that stuff. But, um, and so people do have issues. They come back to us saying, hey, this got denied. Yeah. Is this something we can do? Also, when there are general cuts in reimbursement, there, there usually are discussions between suppliers and manufacturers uh, about, hey, we need some help here. Well, you brought up the 30 years ago. How has the provision of seating and mobility changed in 30 years, if at all? Well, I think that, one, there's the creation of the RTS credentialing, uh, the ATP certification, which added professionalism in that the people understood the, had to understand the whole thing. You couldn't just come from outside of the business or be a repair tech and graduate. And yeah, you can go into this hospital and you know how to adjust this chair or fit this chair or prescribe this chair. Now there was a, a requirement and the responsibility for generalized knowledge within the space and the ability to understand the technologies and the biomedical implications. And, you know, there's a greater learning, right, education. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think those have had a dramatic impact on on the delivery of product. I think that there's been a variety of change for different reasons in, in the actual prescription where therapists used to do most of that prescription, at least in the world that I lived in, where now I think that there's a lot of places where the uh, ATP is driving that prescription I mean, under the guidance and recommendation and what, what the therapist thinks their person needs, but the therapist in most facilities is not the expert on product. Mm -hmm. Clearly, you have the leading facilities across the country um, that, that do wheelchairs and seating every day uh, where those people are, are the experts. And they're, but they're still driving what the uh, product recommendation is uh, because they understand their client as well as the technology. But in, in, in suburban and rural areas, uh, I think there has been somewhat of a move to being more dependent on the ATP. And, and what do you think the effect on consumers of two big national massive providers sort of gobbling up the mom and pops and regional providers? Is that a good thing or a bad thing or indifferent? I don't know that it's either. I think it has positives and negatives. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's standards of performance and expectation and and systems with the national chains that 
that help make sure that wherever they're working, there's a standard where it's possible that the local supplier isn't qualified to the same level and the same standards. So you could be considerably upgrading what what a therapist could expect from their ATP. But there is some cookie cutter possibilities, right? That this is how we do it, which is less flexible. Right. Whether it's because of formularies and this is the product we offer under this code. Um, so there, there, there is that possible downside. There's the possibility that, well, I've only got two ATPs. I only get so many people that I can see and I want to focus on the higher revenue or the higher profit. So some people in the community don't get seen, but the little guy can't afford to be in business. So some consumers could be out of luck because it stifles the ability of the small guy to stay in business. Interesting. Um, so I, I, you know, I think there's positives and there's negatives, but there's usually positives and negatives with everything. What's your position or your perspective on the current state of funding? And what do you think the likelihood that competitive bidding is going to be around any longer or it's probably dead? I have no reason to think it's going to be dead. Mm-hmm. How they were going about it was in question. And obviously, as you know, the government put halts and delays in some of that stuff. But I, I don't personally know the underlying reasons why and what the government is thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think reimbursement is going to, I don't think it's a Democratic or Republican thing. The government wants to pay less. So there's going to continue to be that pressure. The only way we can stop it, because, you know, there's the commoditization of everything over time, is to get the separate benefit category, which is focused on the individual long-term disabled client who needs to be able to be functioning in society. When they're looking at it in mass, it just all gets blended in and it's very easy for government officials to just take a, you know, take a Sharpie to it and line this stuff out. We need to get out of that bucket. Yeah. What can everybody do, anybody, industry, non-industry, general public, what can we do to aid in the speedy conclusion of creating this separate benefit category? The best thing is to talk to your congressmen and your senators. They have to understand that manufacturers and supplier organizations talking to them one could easily suspect that they take that with a grain of salt because we have a profit motive mm-hmm. that we need. And NCART recognizes this, that it's the, the, the consumer's voice or the child of consumer's voices or the parent of consumer's voices that would resonate the most. And so having those people reach out to their legislators and say, hey, this is concerning. This separate benefit category is the right thing to do would make a lot of difference. If everybody did it, they probably would, well, I don't know today if they'd vote for anything, but you know what I mean. What haven't I asked you, or what would you like to talk about, if anything, uh, that we haven't chatted about? Probably not going to tell you what we're going to do next year. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see if I have any other notes that I have. Um, Well, uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed recently is that a lot of ATPs, a lot of my friends, have retired recently. And... It, it would appear to me that that's going to create a problem uh, and that the length of or tenure of ATPs in the marketplace is getting shorter and shorter. Well, I do know that we have an aging ATP group. The world that 
the ATPs came into 10, 20 years ago was a different world. It was, there was a lot more of excitement around it. And that today with private equity companies owning 50 plus percent of the market, as you said earlier, that it's more of about a production thing. Uh, instead of focusing on whatever is best for the client, uh, it's like, we'll get something that's good for the client, but you got to see a lot of people. You need to get your revenue and your profit up. The old guys are still here, but I'm not 100% sure why new guys don't want to come in. Wherever the industry found new blood to become ATPs, whether it was from techs or from allied health services or from whatever, why those aren't options and possibilities today, I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe it pays fairly well. So I don't think that's it. I think tech, I think technology is going to be a big driver of that. Adding in new technologies that the young people will find exciting and the way they want to work might be just the ticket to move that needle. Interesting. At the age of the tape measure might be coming to an end. Well, Doug, I appreciate the time you spent. I'm going to, I'm, uh, we've been doing this for about a half an hour. I can't think of anything that I, I really haven't asked you that, that would be compelling to anybody. Unless you can think of something, I guess I'll, I'll let you go. Um, well, I appreciate it, Bill. Thank you. Well, Doug, thanks for your time and your insight. I know everybody appreciates your experience and your perspective as much as I do. Please support Key Mobility as much as Key supports you. I'm Bill Nolting. Come back and spend some time with us and let's talk rehab. <music>